Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Are you, uh, how many of you have been watching the Olympics? Have you been watching some of the things in the Olympics? Yeah. Um, pretty cool that uh, Americans beat the Russians and hockey. I, I was living in uh, right near Lake Placid in 1980. I lived in Johnstown, New York, and I got to run with the Olympic torch when it came through the area. And it was an, I was a junior in high school. And so that's, uh, uh, that, that's striking in my memory when the United States beat Russia. And to see us do it in Russia, um, that's awesome. <laughs> I just love all that stuff. And I love competition. I love athletics. And, uh, you know, I think that a lot of us, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, the young men carrying the pews out when we were modeling, they were competing to see who could carry the pews out faster and who could. Tony, I got to tell you this. They, were, they cut those pews in half and they're heavy. These things are heavy. I watched Tony Slade. He just picked it up and threw it onto the trailer. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in a pew throwing contest with Tony Slade. <laughs> Guys are competitive. A lot of ladies are competitive. Do you know that God knew that? That competitive nature, that, that, that impetus that we have to succeed and to win and to achieve and to overcome, that's all incorporated into the material that God gave us about the Christian life. And so I was thinking about this time of year. This time of year, people are generally excited about winter and about snow and all of that until about now. How many of you are over it? Any of you? Yeah. Yeah, it's time. So uh, we're getting on a bus after church. We're going to Florida. Who's with me? All right. I wish we could, but we're not. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Just keep going. Just keep going. Uh, we have so many things here at Grace Baptist that we are wanting to introduce and to, to talk about this year. And it's so interesting. You get to this point. You get to middle of February, and people are tired already. And we've not even started. We have some things to finish. Obviously, there's trim to finish in the auditorium, and there's decorations to be done, and there's things to be done here. The fellowship hall isn't finished. The bathroom's downstairs. There's things that we're doing just to complete this project. Wouldn't it be a bummer to stop? Have you ever done that? You start a project at home, and you just decide, I'm not going to finish this. I'm tired of it. I'm not going to finish it. Man, I see ladies looking at their husbands right now. Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to change my sermon. Uh, yeah, that's all part of it. I, we, we had somebody over the other day. I've got a light switch that's been hanging at our house for about 10 years. <laughs> and one of these days, I've got to get attached. There's more to it, but there's a job that's not done at home. But I said it already as we were welcoming everybody this morning that the building isn't the Christian life, right? This is a place where we gather together to meet. The issue is, what are we doing as believers? And Pastor Nathan and I have so many ideas and plans for the year that we are not going to introduce until all of the, the physical labor is done. And I'm so excited for it. But this passage, think about the Olympics, the running, all of that's going on. I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to ask ourselves this question. Am I running? Am I running? I'm not talking about how busy you are in your life. I know some of you moms, you know, it, it, you just run like crazy. 
If you have more than one child and they're involved in different activities, you know, you have baton twirling one day and you have track one day and you have deep sea Romanian folk dancing one day and there's, there's all this stuff that you're running your kids to all over the place and you're doing all these things, life can get very busy. You know, those of you with careers, things are, they're not expecting less of you today than they were yesterday. If you're good at your job, they're going to give you more to do. The old saying is, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. And that's true, isn't it? So those of you who are successful in your careers, things are getting more and more difficult. Those of you who own businesses, whether it's regulations or what you're having to do to get more customers, it's going to be busier and busier and busier. You young people, as you prepare to go to college and you get into college and you think work is hard in high school, then you go to college and you find out you weren't even doing anything yet. And it's going, to be, it's going to be difficult and hard. I met Laura in, in, in a class. It was called 20th Century Biographies. It was a 400-level history class. And she came to college uh, when she was 17. She graduated from high school early. And somehow she had ended up in this 400-level history class with a teacher that talks faster than uh, an auctioneer. All right. Mark Rasmussen. If you don't know who Mark Rasmussen is, it's... Blah, 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 blah. And she is just like this. And so, you know, being the helpful student that I was, I was happy to help her in school. Um, and so, and you see where that ended up. But it's interesting the difference between high school and college for her getting thrown into the deep end. And yet that's life, isn't it? That's what life is about. And so when I'm asking you if you're running or not, I'm not talking about the affairs of this world, the affairs of this life. I'm talking about your walk, your, your labor for the Lord. Are you running or not? Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, let me just say this. Um, I have more introductions than a library, don't I? It's just I, I want to qualify this. You know, there's a discussion in Christianity about what books of the Bible apply to us. Right? Well, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So how much of the Scriptures are profitable to us? All. All. So that's where you have to start. Then you look at whose mail are you reading. So the book of Hebrews is obviously written to who? Hebrews. Y'all are brilliant. I, I like the way that you determined that and figured that out. Dalton would say the way you sussed that out. That's, that's good. Um, so it's written to Hebrews. But it was written to Hebrew Christians. It was written to Hebrew believers. It's not written to lost Hebrews. It's written to Hebrew believers. Um, now, there are parts of it that are for people that are Hebrews and, and that are not lost. But in general, it's written to believers. Uh, so that's who it's written to, and it's written to people who were saved. And this book was written after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written as the churches were growing. So this material is clearly for believers. Amen? Uh, there are people who say that the book of Hebrews is only for people during the tribulation period. That's just wrong. That is simply wrong-headed. Now, how many of you, you just don't really care about that? Honestly, would you raise your hand? You're just not really that interested in it? Nobody will admit to it. All right, cool. Um, this just this needs to be said. One of the reasons I'm saying it here is our, our messages go on the Internet. They're listened to all over the country, missionaries all over the world. These are 
these are controversies that are going on in Christianity, and I just want people to know where Grace Baptist Church stands. Now, I'll tell you this. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews who were living in the shadow of the temple. Hebrew Christians whose social, family, religious life was based in the temple, now they've gotten saved. Now they've gotten saved. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the law. The veil was rent in two when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He said, it is finished. He had accomplished everything that the law had pointed to. And so now we no longer need sacrifices. Jesus was the eternal and sufficient sacrifice for the sin of every man. Hallelujah. That's when Hebrews was written. And so you have these believers who they've gotten saved, but they're... they're uh, community, their family, and their religious identity is drawing them back to the temple. And the book of Hebrews is saying, no, go on. Continue in the faith. Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Jesus Christ is better than the law. Jesus Christ is better than the Levitical priesthood. Jesus Christ is better than the temple because all of that pointed to Him. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. And I'll tell you this. During the tribulation period, you know that one of these days Jesus Christ is returning. Do y'all believe that? Could be today. It could be in the next few minutes. It might be 300 years from now. But we know that Jesus Christ is going to return. And what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns is if you are saved, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, not trusting your baptism, not trusting your church membership or your good works, not trusting your family lineage, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you are going to be snatched away. You're going to be taken out of this world. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? That is... Y'all are lame today. That is awesome. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming back. But what's going to happen here on this earth when that takes place is going to be a terrible time of tribulation. The temple is going to be rebuilt. The center of the universe is going to be Jerusalem again. It's going to be an unbelievable time. And here's what's going to happen. Those who have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel before, they're going to hear the gospel. And many of them are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're going to get saved. And you know what the temptation is going to be? To be drawn back into the temple. Back into the worship of the Antichrist. Back into a false religion. I guarantee you the book of Hebrews will have genuine meaning to those living in Jerusalem, living in Israel, when that temple is rebuilt. Amen? So it's not an either or. It's not that it's for the tribulation and not for us, or for us and not for the tribulation. That book is going to take on all kinds of meaning. The book of James is written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. The book of James, of course it's important for us. We learn all kinds of things from it. We learn patience. We learn how to, how to endure suffering. We, need to, we learn how to guard our tongue and to have a life that matches what we believe. That's all in the book of James. We learn how to pray for the sick. We learn that the, 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 that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We learn that if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and He'll give it to us. We learn all kinds of things from the book of James. But I'll tell you what, during the tribulation period, do you, those think, do you think those people are going to understand something about faith and tribulation? Do you think they're going to understand something about watching their tongues? How many of you think that during the tribulation it's going to be important among the community of believers that if somebody says they're a believer, their life matches what they say. You see, so it's not an either or. 
You can be a person who believes in the soon return of Jesus Christ, who believes that those general epistles, those are the things after the church epistles, before the book of Revelation, that those general epistles, you can understand that they'll have special meaning for those in the tribulation while understanding they're profitable for you every day of your life. Amen? Okay, so now let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Lord, help us as we study your word. Lord, I think this is a timely message for many of us in this room. And Lord, help us to prayerfully ask this question, am I running? Am I running? Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your word. Instruct us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want us to look at is the impetus for our running. What, what is the, our motivation for running? Well, look at what it says. The first word is wherefore. All right, wherefore. Now, I looked that up in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and he said this, for which reason? For which reason? So we're going to run based on a certain reason. What reason? Why? What reason? Now, it's interesting. The illustration of that that he used was, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. That's what Webster did in 1828. Um, how many of you think Webster was educated? Bill Nye needs to read Webster's 1828 dictionary. You, you can be a thinker. You can have a scientific mind and believe in the one who created the sciences. Amen. Man, I'm thankful for the Christian thinkers that we have, those who believe in their divine creator who also want to explore the mysteries of the universe. Because understanding those mysteries is understanding the Godhead. The Bible says that through the things that are made, we can understand His power and Godhead. Amen. The Trinity is revealed in the creation. Praise God. So wherefore? Wherefore? Uh, it says here, wherefore, seeing we are also, seeing all, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So what is this? Based on what has happened in Hebrews chapter 11, we're supposed to run. What are we learning in Hebrews chapter 11? Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The impetus for our running. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, what are we learning? We're, we're going to run by faith. We're going to run by faith. Now, how, already, how many of you already knew that? All right, you already knew. Like, three people? Come on! How many of you already knew that? Okay. So, it, it's very clear. We already get that. But we need to be reminded of it. What does it mean to run by faith? Well, let me read you Webster's. I, I was excited. I just looked at Webster's definition of faith this morning. Okay? So now it's hard to listen to someone read. So do it on purpose. Listen to this definition. There's like four levels of the definition, and I think it's going to be really helpful for us today. So the first is, says faith by Webster's. He says, belief 
the assent of the mind to truth of what is declared by another, resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence. The judgment that what another states or testifies is the truth. His sentence is, I have strong faith or no faith in the testimony of a witness or in what a historian narrates. That's, that's the, his general definition of faith. Then he says, the, the second is, the assent of the mind to the truth of a proposition advanced by another. I have faith in the proposition that this person is giving. All right, so here's where I wanted to get. This, he's, this, I'm just reading Webster's, all right? In theology, the assent of the mind or understanding to the truth of what God has revealed. Let me, let me say that again. I think our seats are too comfortable. You need to put boards under. In theology, the assent of the mind or understanding to the truth of what God has revealed, simple belief of the Scriptures, of the being and perfections of God, and of the existence, character, and doctrines of Christ founded on the testimony of the sacred writers. That's pretty good, isn't it? It is called historical or speculative faith, a faith little distinguished from the belief of the existence and achievements of Alexander or of Caesar. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible and what the Bible says. I believe that Elijah was a real character just as much as I believe that George Washington was a real character. Amen? That, that's the simple belief in the historicity of the Scriptures. That is the theological definition of faith. He goes farther, though. He gives an evangelical definition of faith. 1828, an evangelical definition of faith. Justifying or saving faith is the assent of the mind to the truth of divine revelation on the authority of God's testimony accompanied with a, with a cordial assent of the will or approbation of the heart an entire confidence or trust in God's character and declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender of the will to His guidance and dependence on His merits for salvation. In other words, that firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. That was in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I thought, man, that is fantastic. That's what faith is. The, the impetus for our running is based on the faith that's identified in Hebrews chapter 11. And how was that faith identified? By what the people did. They didn't just say, I believe. They didn't just say, I believe. They had a life that matched what they believed. Their faith led them to do something. So we have a record of what these people did in Hebrews chapter 11. And after we hear what they did, then we're told by God to run. We're told by God to run. So here's my question to you. Are you running? Are you running? Have you sat down? Did you ever get up? Are you running? Um, the impetus for our running is the faith of those who have come before. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance, it's the evidence. So faith is tangible. Faith is tangible. The idea is this. I can't see God, 
but I have faith in what God has revealed. Is that right? I, I, I can't see God, but I have faith in what He reveals. Uh, it may not be something that can be seen, but it is tangible in that the object of the faith manifests itself through some medium. All right? So it's very simple. God created the earth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1. Let's look at it. Put, put your marker there in Hebrews 11 and go to Romans chapter 1. In the evolution creation debate, which is it's not really a debate. It would be like debating, you know, whether or not you should drink water. Let's have a debate on that. Is water good for you? Well, it depends on whose water it is. If it's half chlorine, let's not drink it. All right? But that's not water, is it? How about this? Should you breathe air? How many of you think that's probably a good idea? Remember? Don't forget to breathe. Very important. Remember? Wax on. Wax. Remember? Breathe. How many of you think that breathing is good? Right? You think? Let's debate that. <laughs> Isn't that dumb? It's just a silly thing. And debating whether or not God created the earth, it, it's such a silly debate. It really is. Now, if you're here and you're a skeptic, I'm not saying that you're silly. I'm saying you need to believe. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Uh, unbelief is not an intelligent position. Amen? Now, there are intelligent people who don't believe. But their unbelief is foolishness. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 1, look at verse 16. I think we looked at this last week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. All right? So that's where we start. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's made plain. It's in them. They know it. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So this is what we have to understand about faith. Faith is not just belief in something out there that there's no evidence for. Faith is belief based on the object that God gave us to believe in. So God gave us the creation and the idea that, that there's a... There's a book, um, I think Donna Yates asked me about it last week. It's called Darwin's Doubt. And it's written by a guy named Stephen Meyer. And what he's basing it on is the Cambrian explosion. All right? So in, in anthropology or in biology and different areas, one of the areas that, that Darwin struggled with was this Cambrian explosion. That at a certain period of time, there was the immediate appearance of many life forms. All right, and they can't account for that. We can account. Notice I said they. I can account for it. And I'm not even a scientist, but I know who created the sciences. All right? But Darwin said that this, 
Cambrian explosion. And what it is is there's all these life forms that they can't find a progenitor to. They can't find something that came before it. Darwin said that that was the greatest um, uh, and best challenge to his theory. He said it was a valid challenge to his theory. Darwin said that. And Darwin had no idea how much was in the Cambrian explosion. There's so much more there than Darwin ever knew and that scientists cannot explain it because now we understand by the DNA code that there's a digital code in every cell. Is that right? There's a digital code in every cell. And so when you have, if you think about the the first law of thermodynamics and the second law of thermodynamics, matter can't be created or destroyed. And then there's the law of entropy, that everything tends from order to disorder except everything in the universe. That doesn't make sense, does it? So how does that fit with the sciences now? The creation that God made. You get a telescope. You know when, uh, when God told Abraham that the stars were numbered as the sands of the sea? You know that he could have only seen about 1,500 stars at that point? That's interesting, isn't it? With, with the naked eye, he could have only seen about 1,500 stars. Now we understand there's billions and trillions of stars. That information was in the scriptures a long time before the Hubble telescope was created. And so the more that we learn about creation, the more that we understand that it was created and that there's a finite period of time for that. When they look in that telescope and they look out at the stars, they see all of these stars, but they're always in these these circular patterns. They're in these circular patterns. And if we understand, if we understand the law of entropy in a certain amount of time, they would lose that circular pattern. But they don't find any stars that aren't in a circular pattern. Right? How do they explain that? Well, the universe is expanding. Well, if it's expanding, then they would lose that shape. They would be expanding out and out and out and out and out. And ultimately, it's going to expand. It's going to vanish. It's going to go away. What am I saying? I'm saying that scientists can observe, and the more that we learn, the more that it agrees with what the Bible says. I was talking about that code, and this is what Darwin's doubt is about. It's the idea from the Cambrian explosion that these these, um, life forms, like a trilobite, these, these things that they're very complex... And we understand that that just a single-cell organism has enough information, enough code to fill up reams and reams of paper, four to 600,000 lines of code that they know of in a single-cell organism. So I want you to think about computer code. All right? How many of you would rather not? But but just, just think about this, computer code. If you start removing information in a random way from computer code, how many of you think that's going to make it better? No, it's not going to make it better. How many of you think that without some kind of intelligent design, without some kind of intelligence, that computer programs grow? They can only grow if that growth is designed into them. See, it's very interesting. So in the Cambrian explosion, the problem with, that the scientists have, who, who, the unbelieving scientists have uh, in the Cambrian explosion, is that there's new information introduced. 
And there's no natural process known for the introduction of new information. Right? How was the information introduced? God, who at sundry times and in a diverse manner spake in time past by the prophets unto the, by the, by the, uh, by the prophets unto the fathers, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Is that what the Bible says? Who, being the express image of His person and upholding all things by His power, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did we skip? Who created all things? You see, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is the one who gave that information. And what I think is so interesting is when you look at this idea of words and language and communication, there are more, if you take all of the letters in the alphabet and you just throw them out randomly, there are more possibilities for nonsense than there are for sense. In other words, it takes intelligence to put them in an intelligible form. Okay, so the idea is this. Let's say that you get all the Scrabble pieces in the world, all right? And you shake them up and you throw them out and you gather them up and you put them in one place. You gather them in order and there's Webster's 1828 Dictionary. How many of you think that's silly? It's no, it's no more silly than the idea that the DNA code just happened by random forces. Do you see? And, and here's what they say. Here, here's here's what, a, what a, an unbelieving scientist would say to you when you say that. You don't understand. Okay, help me then. I'm just dumb. I, I don't know. But you, you don't understand. You have to have time. Okay, so if I shake those Scrabble pieces up for 10 billion years, they're going to give me a dictionary. Time doesn't have anything to do with it, folks. Remember, they have to educate you how to think that poorly. Someone has to teach you how to make all of those logical errors and accept them because it's religion. It's religion. The creation reveals the Godhead. So, Pastor, what does this have to do with running? It's very simple. God gave us an object to demonstrate His creative power. So that faith becomes easy. It does not take great faith to believe that God created the earth. It takes great faith to believe it just happened. Amen? Of course, aliens could have done it. Yeah, that's, where, that's where brilliant people are, right? Who made the aliens? Where the aliens come from? Well, that's why we need to study it. That's the answer. That's the answer, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unresolvable problem. And yet we who have faith, we have faith in something that's very visible, it's something that's very tangible, that points to the one who created it. You see, that's faith. So our faith is not just some nebulous thing, some ethereal thing that, that, that can't ever uh, have an object. Okay. Some of you who are not interested in this, just go to sleep right now. Um, in philosophy, there's existentialism. So you have Soren Kierkegaard, who is considered a, a Christian existentialist. And what is existentialism? It, it's, it's experience. It's experience. And how many of you have heard of this? The leap of faith. 
the leap of faith. So the idea behind existentialism is it's a blind leap into the dark, I believe, I trust. That's not Christianity at all. That's existentialism, which is why I'm not an existentialist. I'm a Christian because there is an object to my faith and that's given to us in the Word of God. We have reasons to believe that are reasonable. Why? Because the God who created reason has given us the information. Faith, faith, faith. All right, now, so much more I could say about that. I wanted to give you some more information about Hebrews 11, but I want to get to the running. All right, look at the running. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 again. Hebrews 12. So the impetus for our running is the faith of those who have gone on before us. Look at chapter 11 and verse uh, 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of uh, Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Well, there's the evolutionists. Look at that. Women received, from, received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of earth. This is not a great sales pitch. You know, it reminds me of, you know, you take this drug, this drug for your headache. You know, it may cause diarrhea, it may cause nausea, it may cause loss of sight. Your, your leg may fall off, right? All the disclaimers that are on that. Well, I don't want to take that. But look, verse 39, here's the issue. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. What is the promise? Man, we got Jesus. Jesus came. He walked the earth. We have the New Testament. We have so much more than those Old, Old Testament saints had. We have so much more available to us. That's amazing. So what are we supposed to do? Run. Run. What does God want you to do? Do you know that God has a specific purpose for you in His plan? He wants you to participate. It, it, he doesn't, it doesn't say in the Bible that for Grace Baptist Church, Jim and Nathan are going to do it. It's for every believer to participate in God's work. Run. Run. All right, so let's look at this idea of running. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Lay aside the weight. The weight. And so, I want you to think about something. I don't know that I've ever seen an Olympic event, you know, like for running, where there are pockets. 
Have you ever seen somebody's cell phone fly out of their pocket in a race? Not in a race that mattered. Why? Because they're not going to have their phone with them. Is that right? Those are the weights. You're going to lay those aside. You're going to set those things aside. Man, these, these swimmers, they shave themselves because that friction of the hair might slow them down. Now, some of you are already prepared. All right? They shave themselves. What are they doing? They, they, they want to win. They're giving it their all. I want to ask you, I want you to think about what is it that's weighing you down that's stopping you from running well? That might not be a good question. Let me frame it this way. Pastor, I would do this, but. I would go witnessing. I would would help hand out the door knockers, or the door knockers, the door hangers. I, I would, but, but. I I can't do that. I don't have time. I don't have time to serve God. I don't have time. Let me me help you with something. I know that I'm more educated than most of you. And I I know some things that you don't. So you're going to want to write this down. Everyone has the same amount of time. That's profound, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon had the same amount of time in the day that Jim Alter has, right? Uh, Isaac Newton had the same time, amount of time in the day that, that you have. We all have the same amount of time. The issue is what we choose to do with that time. Notice what it says. Look, look at the way the text says it. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight. Notice what it says. He doesn't say, let you. All of us have hindrances to running. Now, for me, my hindrances to running are a bad back, a bad leg, 20 extra pounds. You know, when your chest bounces up and hits you in the face when you're running, that's a bad thing. You know, I've got some hindrances to running. Okay? Spiritually, what are your hindrances to running? Now, let me ask you an honest question. And your kids are going to see whether you vote or not. Okay? Okay, you teenagers, stand up for a minute. All you in the middle, stand up. Turn around and look at your families. Okay? Is this awesome right here, by the way? Isn't this cool? All right? Hey, you knuckleheads, turn around. Oh, no, your parents are in front of you. That's okay. All right. Okay, everybody? How many of you know that you're supposed to serve God? Would you raise your hands? Okay. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Okay, now your kids have seen you vote. Do they see you serve God? Do they see you run? Or have you ordered your life in such a way that you simply do not have time to serve God. Now, here's the thing. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I do serve God. You just don't see it. Praise God. Hallelujah. And here's the thing. I know that. I know that that serving God is more than participation in the New Testament church. Amen? It is more than that. But it's not exclusive of it. 
You cannot be running if you're not participating in ministry. Now, it's, it's my job, it's Pastor Nathan's job, to help you get plugged into ministry, to facilitate ministry for you. That's what the pastor does. That's what we're supposed to do. And I need to do better at that. I might be your weight. <laughs> we got to do better. But here's the thing. If you have ordered your life in such a way that you do not have time to serve God, then, then you're not running. There are some things that you need to lay aside, and that means sacrifice. Do you think any of these Olympic uh, athletes sacrifice to be there? You know what they go through? And you say, How, psh, that, what does Paul know about that? What are, that? That's one of the key things in the Bible are the Olympic Games. They're looking at the way that they run in the Olympic Games. Okay, so now we need to run. Then look at what it says. And here's the, here's the blessing. You ready for this? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So what does that mean? That means we're weighed down, we're weighed down by things that aren't sin. That's interesting, isn't it? Those are the good things in your life where you have plugged yourself into too many good things and those good things are keeping you from doing the best thing which is running for God. And then on top of that is the sin. Now, I won't have all of your parents raise your hand about your sin, but I can tell you this, we've all got it. You know, I know that, 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 that sin in my own life hinders me, and that's where that, that, that walk with the Lord, that daily dying to self, dying to the flesh, yielding to the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking by faith, that's all necessary for the running, isn't it? But the first step before you can get to the spiritual part of it is you've got to set aside some good things so that you can serve God. We ought to be a busy running church. We ought to be believers who are busy running for God. Amen? But I've got to tell you this. Our culture is not going to help us. The culture is going to say, if you're, you're not a good American, you're not a good family unless you're doing these things. And man, you get so busy, there's no time left to serve God. Run. So what are we running for? The impetus is the faith of others. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You need to look at Jesus. You just need to look at Jesus. I think that if we concentrated more on Him and what He wanted us to do, that some of those other good things would become less good in our lives. And then the other thing that would result in that is we would see the sin and we'd confess that sin and get it out of our lives. That's what happens when you see Jesus, isn't it? Do you remember what happened in Isaiah? It's Isaiah chapter 6. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what was the result of that? He said, Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the Lord. A vision of Jesus, a, a concentrated understanding, acknowledgement of who He is as revealed in the Scriptures, that definitely reveals sin in our lives, doesn't it? Because now we're not comparing ourselves to others, we're comparing ourselves to the Savior. When we do that, then we will be able to run. So looking at Jesus, understanding what's come be gone behind us, acknowledging who Jesus is. And then look at what Jesus did in verse 3. This is what I want to finish with. For consider him, so consider, consider. What is it to consider? It's to think about. Meditate on this. Think about this. For consider him that endured such contradiction 
of sinners against himself. Contradiction. Do you understand that this world contradicts Jesus? How about creation? Jesus created the world. Is that right? Well, the world contradicts that. It contradicts that. So what you're going to have to be in this world is you need to be a living contradiction. A living contradiction to what's going on in the world. You need to be different. You need to be peculiar. That's what the Bible describes you. You need to be different. If you're blending in so well with the world, you are not running well. Amen? Jesus endured contradiction of sinners. Your life ought to be a contradiction to the, to the, the, the world's thinking. It ought to be. You know, there's all kinds of world, the zeitgeist, the, all of these things, if you want to get into technical terms, the, the worldview, the Weltanschwung, all of these things that people talk about, that the great thinkers talk about. You just need to understand your life is going to be a contradiction to the world if you are living for Jesus Christ, unless you're so weighed down with the good things and sin, then you're just going to look just like everybody else. Amen? Amen? Let's run. My question to you today... Am I running? Am I running or am I hindered? Am I running or am I hindered? The hindrances to our running. Let's look at three verses and we'll be done. Galatians 2.2. 2. Galatians. Let's look at verse 1, Galatians 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. What did Paul say? He told everybody and then privately he also did it. He, he was doing church work, establishing churches, but he was also in his daily conversation talking about Jesus and giving the gospel. Why? He, he wanted his run to accomplish something. He wanted his run. So let me ask you this. When you die and you stand before Jesus Christ, is he going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Is that what he's going to say? When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and your work that you've done for the Lord and it's tried there, are you going to receive reward or are you going to suffer loss? We're not going to take the time to look at it. Look at it on your own, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's very clear. If you're saved, you are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for the work that you've done for Him. Then there's that old song, Must I go in empty-handed? Must I go in empty-handed? Nothing to give the one I love, Jesus. So true. Run. Don't run in vain. Run for God. Run for the reward that He's going to give you. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. That Pastor Maher there in Baghdad, um, I got to meet him when I was teaching there in Lebanon. And uh, I, I think of Pastor Maher. When he was 19, Saddam Hussein put him in prison for years for preaching the gospel. And uh, so now he's pastor of a Baptist church there. And they, they have soldiers out with guns outside so that they can have church. He's running, isn't he? He's not, letting, he's not letting the culture stop him from running. How about that? He has pain every day because of the torture that he had under Saddam Hussein. And, what, there, what, and there's the threat of bullets. There's the threat of bombs. 
There's all that threat around him, and he's just running. He's just running. What is that? What is that? Seeing then that we are compassed by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's what, he's one of these witnesses that we have today. You don't have to go back to the Scriptures. That's somebody we can look at today. And who's he doing it for? Jesus. He's doing it for Jesus. Look at Philippians 2, verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Just run. Run for the reward. Don't run in vain. Accomplish something for Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. You're going to get a prize. What is it? It's rewards that Jesus Christ gives you so that you can lay Him down at His feet. Is He worthy of that? Is He worthy? What's the prize? The prize is the reward that you can give back to Him. Praise the Lord. Man, that's fantastic, isn't it? So here, here's, the, here's my question to you. Are you running? Are you running? Man, the weather's bad. There's so much stuff going on. My life is busy. Am I going to run for Jesus? Am I going to run for the Lord? You young people, are you going to run for the rest of your lives for the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you going to give your lives completely to something else? You can only give yourself completely to one thing. Amen? So you go into your career and you become the best pharmacist you can be. You, you become the best engineer you can be. You become the best factory worker you can be. Become the best technician, the best plumber, whatever it is. You do that for the Lord and you get plugged into a New Testament church and you serve God in the way that He ordained. God's work has to be done God's way. Amen? Can I tell you something? Reality doesn't care what you think about it. Right? You can have your own opinions about the Lord's work. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. God said what you're supposed to do. God said what I'm supposed to do. And you know what that is? We're supposed to run. We're supposed to run. You might be thinking, what can I do? I want to run. What can I do? I'll tell you two things that you can do right now. Tell someone about Jesus Christ and invite them to church. doesn't have to be an organized ministry. Just you going where you go and telling someone about the Lord Jesus Christ and inviting them to church. Amen? Amen? That's, that's, one th that's part of your running, isn't it? Your, your schedule, might, you might have a legitimate schedule that keeps you from maybe working on the building or do something, doing something like that. We have folks who can work on the building. Amen? We have, but everybody can give the gospel and invite someone to church. And then the other thing that you can do is pray for this ministry. Pray for it. Be conscious. Get, get the names of the people in the church and pray for them. Pray for them. By name. Call them out. Call their names before the Lord. Find out about the needs. When a prayer request comes over the line, pray for those people. Amen? You see, those are two things that all of us can do. And whether your schedule permits active participation in an organized ministry, what is the most important thing? Telling people about Jesus, inviting them to the place where they can hear His Word, and praying for the work of the Lord. Amen? Then what's the obvious third thing everybody can do? Give. Give financially to the Lord's work. I know, somebody out there is thinking, Pastor, it was all so good until you said that. <laughs> now you're meddling. Look, just Give. Everybody can give something to the Lord's work. Tell somebody about Jesus, pray for the work, and then where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.